0: If you have your Bibles, you can go to James chapter four, James chapter four, James chapter four. I'm excited to get back into this book with you and uh, look at these verses. James is a fascinating book. If you looked at the book and summarized it, we could go back in James and say, and if we if we tried to summarize the book uh, and and look at it for a second, we might say something like this and think about. Actually, if you were a church or walking into a room and this is the description of the church or the people, imagine if you would like to be there. It was a place full of people that were unwise, double minded, deceived, angry, hypocritical, showing favoritism to the rich, showing favoritism to to those that were like them. They ignored the hungry and the sick. They were full of evil speech. They were gossiping, cursing, selfish, selfish. Jealous, arguing, fighting, friends with the world and worldliness, but they thought they were very spiritual. They were filled with faith, but their faith had zero works or no works, very little. They continued to slander and judge each other, telling everybody else how terrible they are and how great they were. If you walked into a room of people like that or were in a church like that, you would probably say, I don't want to stay or be there very long. And if you look and you read back through James, that's what he summarizes the people as. He starts going through and he starts telling them this, and you start to realize this church, these people that he's writing to, they're struggling. But yet he throughout the book calls them over and over and over again, he calls them brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. People that although they have these issues, they're called Christians. And although their faith may be weak or it may be, uh, they actually may be not following Christ as, as wholeheartedly as they should. He still calls them brothers and he tries to get them to see that they need to have wholehearted devotion to Jesus. That every area of life should be submitted to the Savior. And as we look at verses today in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he's going to kind of bring back and summarize what he's been talking about in chapter 3 and 4. And he summarizes with these two short verses this idea of slander and evil speech. And we're going to look at the sly sin of slander. Because the reality is, slander or evil speech is something that most of us would say, I don't do that. But I know somebody who does. Whenever I speak evil of somebody, what you think is me speaking evil of them is actually me just pointing out the facts. I'm actually just getting counsel from somebody else. You know what I'm doing? I'm sharing prayer requests. And you know what slander is? It's very sly, it's very deceitful, and it deceives our heart because we think that it's not us. But let's look at James 4:11 and 12. James 4, 11 and 12 says this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And as I said, nobody would probably say that we actually are the ones that speak evil or judge or slander, And in 2020, we realize that doesn't happen hardly at all. And so we probably should just quit right here at this sermon since nobody slanders and nobody judges with evil speech, right? The silence means we probably just keep going as much as you might want to stop here. We realize that we cannot be people that judge and slander people. The first point we want to look at today is in this first verse of verse 11. Saints shouldn't slander saints saints shouldn't slander saints we shouldn't slander or speak evil of other people he starts with this and he says don't speak evil against one another he has this word brothers in there speaking to them in a kind tone realizing he's talking to christians but he says don't speak evil of others don't slander people slandering or speaking evil is this idea of cutting somebody down to my level When you speak evil of someone, the idea is that you willfully share false accusations. You exaggerate the faults of a different person. You see what they do wrong and you exaggerate it. They might be actual faults, but you make them way bigger than they are. Or you're critical and you hurt other people's influence or you hurt their reputation. 1 Peter two twelve says this. It says, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil or speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." And so Peter used this same idea of evil speech or slander as as something that these people, sh- uh, saying to these Christians, they should actually live and speak well, because the world is going to slander them. But James says here, brothers and sisters in Christ are actually slandering each other. Incredibly, we would think maybe this would have stopped somewhere along the world in the church, you know, and we would have just said we're going to get better at not slandering each other. But I think in 2020, we realize that's only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse. How could you make yourself taller than every single tree in the world? You may say, I'm not very tall. I'm I'm five foot eight, which is really not very tall compared to one of my brothers, especially. But the only way that I could make every tree shorter than me is to actually just get a chainsaw and start cutting them all down. And that's what we do with slander and evil speech. We want other people to be on our level or below us. And so we just start to cut them down. We slander them. We say evil about them. We say words to them that are untrue. We start to steal their reputation. One of the best words or best uh, explanations of slander, it is bearing false witness, but slander is really the public theft of one's reputation. The public theft of one's reputation saying this person has a good reputation, but I'm going to start saying evil about it. And that's going to steal that good reputation from them. That's what slander is. And James says, don't speak evil of other people. Don't slander them. But he goes on in verse uh, verse 11, and it's interesting. You think, okay, you just stop at slander. That's enough, right? But he goes on and he says, uh, The one who speaks evil against, uh, against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law. James somehow ties slander and judging together. That might not be your first thought. When you think of slandering, you might not think of it as also judging. But when you slander somebody, you actually are also judging them. You're making a judgment about their personality, about their character, about what their actions were. You start to cut them down by judging. We actually put ourselves above another person when we speak evil of them and say, I know better. And James is going to go on and say, you don't just think better of them. You're actually thinking yourself above the law. But but in verse 11 and 12 here, he says, don't speak evil against brothers. The one who judge uh, speak against brothers judges his brothers. And you see the word brothers three times. And so lest you think that this is just to the unsaved world, realize this passage is directed to us as Christians. It's not saying those people on Twitter or those people on Facebook or those people that that I work with that are saying evil to me. This passage is for them. Well, James would say, no, he's specifically indicating this is for believers. And if he's saying three times brothers over and over and over and saying, look, this community of believers is struggling with slander. I would assume that it's something he would probably say in 2020 is also a problem with brothers and sisters in Christ. People that claim to be Christians can sometimes be the most prone to slander and judge. We can argue and slander and and get upset about some of the most minor and incredibly insignificant things when we compare it to the kingdom of God and all of eternity. You have probably heard it, maybe not here, but in many churches or at least rumors of it in other places. People arguing or hurting other people because uh, whoever picked out the carpet, they didn't like that person. The clothes that they're wearing, they don't have a tie on. They don't have the right pair of this or that. And all of a sudden, that becomes the issue. And you slander people because of it. The way somebody does their hair. The way somebody talks. The way, the way somebody holds their Bible. Or carries the wrong version of the Bible. The songs that you sang that you didn't like as much as you would have liked another song to be sung. The temperature of the auditorium. I mean, everybody would say amen on that, right? I mean... We have all kinds of things to complain about, but often our complaints aren't just, I don't like this. We start to attack the person, you know, the person that does this, you know what they are and you know what? And people leave churches all the time because of things like this. Pastor, uh, I watched my favorite football team for the past 20 to 30 years. They've never won a Super Bowl. I hate the coach. They never do anything right. The players are terrible. But you know what? I'm still a fan. But, Pastor, if you do one thing that I don't like, I'm out of here. Slander can hurt quite a few people. We get this arrogance of judgmental attitude that we get to just put everybody else down. That can't be us. Slander is a very serious sin. And James goes on to tell us why. Why is slander such an evil sin? Why is it so evil? He goes on and he says there, speak in the middle of verse 11. Uh, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Evil speech may not seem like a big deal. In fact, some of us would have a list of sins that would say these sins are huge problems. But slander, evil speech, gossip... That's kind of our our, our pet sin list, or that's not really that serious, so I don't need to address it in my life or even in the church. But yet James says this is why it's so d- terrible. When you are practicing judgment and slander, you say that I'm better than the law, I'm above the law, and you think why why would he be why would he be saying that? Well, if you look in James, we're going to look at a couple passages, and they they'll go, come up on the screen, but you'll see why he says. The law is what we're judging. And then we become a judge of the law and we actually think we're better than the lawgiver. I think we'll see what he's talking about. James one twenty five said this. He talked about the law. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no here or who forgets, but a doer her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So he talks about the law of liberty. Again, he talks in James two eight. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law According to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So we start to get a hint of what James is thinking. James is actually thinking of the law as this verse right here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which is really going back to Gen- or Le- Leviticus 19.18 that says, don't bear uh, take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And we realize even Paul talks about loving our neighbor. And we may think slander and judging just isn't that big of a deal. But when we start to realize at the heart of it, we're saying I'm better than the law. It's a problem. In fact, when you love others, you're fulfilling the whole law is what is it? what Romans is saying. Romans thirteen eight says this. Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. When we say, I'm better than somebody else, when we slander them and judge them to be lower or their viewpoint to be worse, and we hurt them and criticize them, we're saying... I don't need to follow the love your neighbor thing right now. That's not me. I'm not actually going against it. Or or we just say, you know what? Loving your neighbor, that doesn't apply here. I'm just pointing out facts and truth. Maybe you are, but maybe you're slandering and you're criticizing and speaking evil of another person. You not only judge the law, but you don't obey the law. It says in that verse, it says, but in uh, James 11 and 12, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. They're not just acting as a judge, but they're saying, I'm a judge that doesn't have to obey. I don't have to do what the law says. I just get to make judgments about it. I don't get to see how evil I am. I just get to tell everybody else how evil they are. It sounds pretty nice, actually. I mean, when I just get to go, go around and say how wrong everybody else is and how right I am, that sounds pretty good. But James is saying that that can't be us. That's not what believers do. We say I'd never slander. But guess what this person did? I need to share this as a prayer request with you. When you're driving down a Texas road and it says 75 and you decide that you can go 85, or like some of you, maybe 95, uh, as I've done as well sometimes, you might look and say, you know what, nobody is on this road. Nobody's here, and so we can just go 95. And then you get pulled over, and you say, well, officer, I've heard that you can go 10 over, and nobody cares. He says, well, it says 75. Well, this is a free country. I can do what I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm above the law. I can make a judgment. I'm a citizen of the U.S., so I can say this is my right to do this. And he says, I'm sorry, the law says this. Here's your ticket. I'm not going to sign that. I run away. Avoid the law. I'm going to do what I want. And you would say, well, that's ridiculous. And James is like, well, that's, that's kind of like what you're doing here. You slander and you speak evil. And we hurt other people. And then we say, no, no, I get to do that because this, this, and this. And the excuses start to justify our sin. Let me just say leave the judging to Jesus, okay? Leave the judging to Jesus. You're not the lawgiver of the judge and he goes on in the end of verse uh, or t- in verse 12 there, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to uh, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? You're not the lawgiver. When we try and act like the lawgiver, we try and act like we're the creator. The only thing that that we really can create is is just sin and chaos oftentimes. Everything else is really a good gift from God, our creator. But when we judge others and put them down and say how evil they are, we take that place as the creator and as the judge, the one that actually has power over the soul to save and destroy, and we take that place and say, "I, I have that power. But that's not it. Nobody should ever look to Tad Wykopen and say, I need him to save me. We would say, no, that's ridiculous. We need Jesus to save us. But yet we judge people and say, hey, listen to my law. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to my rules. And we turn people from Jesus because we think we should be the authority above what the Word of God says. Our whims and our ideas, our preferences get in the way of the Gospel. And when we look at these words... The one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. It helps us remember the gospel is critically important. There will be a judgment day. And those people that do not repent, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, your biggest problem is not the laws on this earth. It's not what's going on in America It's not what's going on in in just your family. The biggest problem you have is you will meet the one that is able to save and destroy. And if you've never submitted to him as your savior, you will be cast into into hell an eternity separated from God. So let me say, if you think that your biggest problem is here on this earth, your biggest problem is actually that you have wrath against you from a God that's going to pour out judgment on all sin. But He has made a way. He's given us Jesus Christ. He's given us a Savior that we can submit to and say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Save me from the wrath to come. Save me because You are the one that is able to save and destroy. And thankfully, because of Jesus, I can be saved. So humble yourself. Submit to Him. If you're listening online and you're thinking, I need to know the gospel. Text the church or send a message. We'll share Christ with you. Possibly you've watched a movie, maybe an old Western or a current modern day TV show. And you see this phrase come up, maybe a title or maybe you see this phrase, uh, judge, jury and executioner. Right. Right. A famous line that's probably in old movies from way back and still used in movies today or used when, uh, when we want to make some serious judgment on somebody. We think of somebody else and what they're doing, how evil they are, and we become the judge, jury, and executioner. And as they say in the movies, I'm the judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, prepare to make meet your maker, right? Something like that. And we kind of take that role when we start to slander others. When we speak evil of other people and judge them, we kind of say, you know what? I'm the judge. I'm the jury. I get to execute whatever judgment I think on you. And I get to tell you how wrong you are for all your problems. James is like, um, like he says in the verse, uh, end of verse 12, kind of in a savage way. Um, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like, who are you? You're the person that was saved by Jesus. You're the person that trusted him and asked him to forgive you or your sin. And you're going to be the one making judgment. You're the one that's going to be overly critical. James says, that's not us. Don't be that way. But let me make a side note on judgment. Let me go and speak for a second about why or how can somebody judge? Because we hear in Matthew 7.1, we hear in Matthew 7.1 very often Probably the most famous verse. I mean most it used to be John three sixteen, but everybody's everybody knows the verse. Judge not that you be not judged, right? You hear that anybody that knows anything about the Bible a little bit, even if they're totally atheist, will say this judge not that you be not judged. But they probably didn't look at Matthew two through five that talks about when you judge somebody, you actually go to them and he's saying, Look, you have a beam in your eye. Before you can remove the speck from somebody else's eye, take that beam out of your eye and then you can actually help them. So he's not saying that you shouldn't actually help your brother or sister in Christ that may have an issue. But you don't do it in a way where it's like, obviously you have a problem and then you criticize them and say, hey, let me help you while you just actually make the situation worse. So what does it mean and who has the right to judge? You go on to the next point, it says, uh, this side note on judging, God alone has the right to judge. He's the lawgiver. In Daniel, we see this, God, uh, see that Jesus, or, or God says that he's the judge over the all the earth. He sets up the kings and puts them down. He's absolutely sovereign. Everybody is accountable to him. In Philippians, we see that actually Jesus is the Lord and Savior and King, and all will bow before him, like we learned and we read. God delegates also, though, some of this responsibility to other things: the family, the church, and the state. And different, and actually, we'll we'll see, look through these for just a second. God delegates some judgment to the family. God says, "Train up your children in the way that they should go." He tells them uh, in Proverbs 1:8, uh, "Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching." Sometimes instruction and teaching make judgment calls. Son, what you're doing right now. Is not wise. Let's change this and do something else. No parent is going to let their children touch the stove and say, oh, we'll just let them learn that on their own. And we're not going to make a judgment call because Matthew seven one says, judge not. So if I slap their hand away, that's judging them. No, as parents, we make judgments call and we say that's wrong activity. That's wrong. That's sinful. You shouldn't do that. Follow Christ. Okay. so the family is one area. We also see God delegates, delegates some responsibility to the church. Acts 20, 20, verse 17 speaks of the church elders who were appointed and ordained by God. They were over the flock. Pastors in First Titus 1, we know that they are to care for the flock. Pastors must watch out for false teachers. In fact, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5 through talks about reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Sometimes there will be judgment as far as this person and their speech or the way that they're uh, trying to teach the gospel is false. And a pastor needs to point that out. In fact, church members, if they hear a pastor is going with aberrant doctrine or they run away from the truth of Scripture, they should also say, hold on, hold on. We need to check what Scripture says. Paul went on and he actually even named false teachers. I mean, imagine Paul in our day. We'd think, oh man, what a terrible guy. But he actually is like Demas. He's in love with the present world. Philegius and Hermogenes and Second Timothy, they turned away from me. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they shipwrecked the faith for some people. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they actually taught their talk will sp- spread like gangrene. He even said a person that wasn't a gospel or wasn't a gospel teacher. He said, Alexander, the coppersmith, he's done great harm to me. So Paul makes judgments about these people, but he's totally able to because he's guarding the gospel. He's protecting the truth. When you're protecting the truth, you need to make judgment calls. But that doesn't mean that you will go about go about it and you just call down fire from heaven on that person. You're probably not Elijah, And you're probably not Elisha either, okay? So just don't start start trying to call down fire on somebody, even though they may be wrong. Go to them, as we we see in, in different ways in Scriptures. Go to them, confront them, speak to them kindly. But if they do turn from the gospel or they're causing destruction, you may need to call them out. That is one of the jobs of a pastor. But James... If you looked in the end of James, verse 5, 19, and 20, I think the summary of the whole book is in these verses. And he's calling people, saying, hey, anybody that's turned from the faith, if you bring them back, if you bring them back to the faith, you have done great. We should bring them back to the faith. So, so pastors have a responsibility to judge. Even people in the congregation, if we see somebody running from the word of God, if we see people making foolish choices, we need to help them to turn back. But we do it in a kind and gentle way. You may say, pointing out a false teacher is not fun. Or you may say, it's easy. You turn on the TV and you look at, a, uh, look at somebody that's asking for money and, and trying to raise uh, money for their private jet and they never share the gospel. You may like, well, yeah, that's a false teacher. But sometimes people that we really you know, enjoyed at a conference or read a book of, if a pastor speaks and says this person may be sharing false teaching, I would encourage you to at least listen to that. Because that, that is one of the responsibilities of a church and a pastor is to call out false teaching. But God also delegates the responsibility to judge sometimes to the state. Romans 13, 1 through 7 and 1 Peter 2 very clearly says that there is an authority that the, the government has the authority to rule. We need to submit to the government. We need to set those uh, set under those rules. Remember that guy that drove ninety five and said, hey, officer, that law doesn't apply to me. No, actually, we see in Romans and first Peter, it's very clear that God actually put those people there for a reason. We may not always like the laws that they make or we may love them because what they do to other people, it doesn't matter. We submit. When when they tell us to do something against God's Word, that's when we don't submit. But we generally don't run into that problem. When we look at the government and look at the family and look at the church, we realize there's areas of judgment. But what happens is we try and often take those areas on ourselves. My job is to call out every problem in my family my church, my government, and I'm just going to criticize everybody because I've somehow become the authority on all things. In fact, you can probably listen to talk show hosts or even Christian talk show radio things that their whole job is to raise controversy. And somehow they've become the judge over every single issue. That's not our place. The sly sin of evil speech is is very deceiving. So what are some practical considerations? How do we need to look at this to end this? Well, we realize Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 talks about different ways that we approach somebody that's living in sin. We go to them. We go to them with another brother or sister in Christ. And if we had to, we may bring it before the congregation. But we do that personally. We don't go before somebody else in the church and just broadcast it to everyone else. The sly sin of evil speech... means uh, that or is very deceitful and we think we should talk about uh, talk about a problem in front of everybody else. But uh, you may see it on the screen in a second. If you wouldn't say it in front of them, then don't say it behind them. If you wouldn't say it in front of them, then don't say it behind them. That's a good consideration. If you're if you're saying I'm not in a Matthew 18 situation where I'm judging somebody or something, correcting them. Think about that. If I won't wouldn't say this in front of that person, why am I saying it behind their back? Is it really edifying? Is it really uplifting or am I judging? So we talk about confronting sin. Also, we go on, we see politics is going to be tough these next few months. When we look at the next month, October and November, and, and uh, all the days left before the election, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of fighting and bickering back, for, back and forth. Are you so wrapped up in your politics that you hate or judge anybody with a different view than you? Are you so blinded by your politics that you would hate to see leaders of the opposite party come to Christ because you don't think they deserve grace? Are you so adamant and knowledgeable about your position on COVID or masks or anything that if they don't agree with you, they're just an imbecile or a loser or they don't know anything? If you make statements like that, that's slander. It's evil speech. It's what we're talking about here. Matthew 23:23 23, 23 and 4. Jesus talks about the weightier matters of the law and he talks about the Pharisees. He says, "Pharisees, you've been worried about measuring out the spices" You've been worried about these really minor things, but you know the major things that you've overlooked? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. He calls them out and he says, the weightier matters of the law, you've been totally forgetting. And I think Christians today, we've so hinged ourselves to politics that we know politics better than we know the word of God. The weightier matters of us become politics. Politics. I'm going to judge somebody because what they think or vote or however it is, I'm going to hate them for it. What's amazing to me is somebody will come to me and say, pastor, we invited this person to church. We want to share it. We want you to share the gospel with them because we don't know how. But that same person can share all their opinions and all their vast knowledge on politics, but they don't know how to share the gospel. And you think Would Jesus have anything to say about that in Matthew 23 and 24? You've worried about the little spices, but you totally forgot the weightier matters of justice, mercy and faithfulness. You don't know how to share the gospel, but you know everything in your party line. Let me say this. You can't let your politics get in the way of treating people like Jesus would. You can't let your politics get in the way of treating people like Jesus would. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean you get to treat them evil and slander them. We go on and slander in relationships. What does that look like? Well, maybe when you get home from work in your relationships, you have burned boss for dinner. Or you have time with your family and you spent a vacation with them and you have roasted relatives over the next meal. Or you get home from church and you have scorched saints or burned pastor, right? And we just talk about everybody else and how evil they are. The next point I think we'd look at, slander can poison any relationship no matter the circumstance. When we bring slander and judgment into any relationship, we poison it. Oh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. Oh, this kid, this person, this employee, this boss, this person I work with. And then the list goes on and the slander just cuts so deep. And what are we doing? We're stealing their public reputation. We're cutting them that down. We're bearing false witness. And let me just say, I don't preach this sermon and say, I, I've been doing a great job at this. No, no, this this was a pretty convicting passage this week. Very convicting. God moved with compassion to show us mercy. Are we judging others' mistakes and all the problems that they have, and we judge them so harshly? If they make a mistake, I'm going to judge them. But then we turn on ourselves. Hey, hey, give me some grace. Give me some mercy. I mean, we do this all the time. When we get, you know, just think about school or at work, or any situation where you're supposed to show up on time, and you arrive late. Well, you say, well, traffic was bad. Kids were out of control. Give me a break somehow, right? Give me mercy. And then you're the one there waiting for somebody, and they're five minutes late, and you're thinking, why couldn't you drive faster? Don't you know how to get up earlier? All of a sudden, it's like that judgmental attitude is evil. We often want to be temple Jesus, but not gentle Jesus. We want to think, oh, I'm temple Jesus. I'm going to run in there. I'm going to start turning over some tables and whip some people. I'm going to really show them who's boss. But when it comes to becoming gentle Jesus, the one that's gentle and lowly, meek and compassionate, we don't want to be that guy. And I think that we probably need to really err on that side of being gentle Jesus. And when we're we're exposing or having righteous anger, I think we need to be extremely careful because we're not a sinless savior. So let me finish. If you're having a hard time with another person, you're struggling with other people, I'd encourage you to repent, to change. If you have something between you and another person, and I say especially in this church or another believer because he says in this passage, brothers, 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 three times to Christians, if you have odds with other people or you've spoken evil of of them or cut them down, Would you go to the source and solve the problem? You go to the source and solve the problem. And if you're not going to the source to solve the problem and you're going outside of that, it generally is slander. You may need to get wise counsel from somebody. But generally, we're not getting wise counsel when we just talk about how bad somebody else is. But I'd encourage you to look and say, how can I ask for forgiveness? If you have bitterness in your heart, but you haven't said it towards other people, good job and at, at least catching it, guarding it. That mask is sometimes helpful, right? The lips are there also to close our mouths so we don't say those evil things. But if you're judging them in your heart, I'd encourage you to start praying for that person specifically every day. For that person that you have odds against, pray for them specifically every day and pray for your own heart. Say, God, work in my heart so that I love them like God wants me to love them. And I would say, even do this, go above and beyond and look and think of a way that you can show them genuine compassion. How can I actively show this person compassion? If you have spread slander, as broad as you spread the slander is as broad as you need to seek forgiveness. As broad as you've spread slander is as broad as you need to seek forgiveness. If I standing from this pulpit start to say how evil somebody else, somebody is John Brower, One of my uh, good friends and a person here at this church, if I start to say evil about John and I start to realize that's wrong during the week I've sinned and I made it public to the church, I need to come before the church and say, this is wrong because it was public. If you slandered somebody and you slandered them to your spouse, to your kids, to a few other members, you need to go to them and say, I'm sorry for what I said and the slander that I spread. Slander can ruin a church. Slander can ruin a family. It can ruin our relationships. But forgiveness is so good. We have a Savior that has forgiven us and we can forgive others. Slander supposes superiority, but saints should submit to the Savior. We, when we slander, we think, I'm better than everybody else. But what is our job? We've got to submit to the Savior. Say, God, these things are in your hands. My job is to love others, to share Christ, and to go on and forgive. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at these verses, uh, Lord, I think about our country and our society, our, our world today. And we see the, just the popular thing to do is to cut other people down, to hurt, to tell people how dumb or evil or, or how foolish they are. But I pray, Lord, that our church and the people here would be known as people that are loving their neighbor as himself, that are kind and compassionate, that are gentle and lowly, that we're able to humble ourselves and say we're not over the law. We're actually under your reign and rule. Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, you've shown me in many areas where this is a struggle and a sin, and I know, Lord, as the Holy Spirit convicts, you're going to do that to some here. And I pray that you would work in them, even this week, so that they would think of the people that they need to go to and ask for forgiveness, to make a relationship right, to think wisely about how they live and what they share. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that loves one another with Christ-like love, that is so desperately loving each other that we are a huge difference to the world that people will look at our church at our people at christians and say why do they love like that and we can say because jesus loved us lord help us to love our neighbor as ourself to not judge or speak evil we love you lord thank you for forgiving us when we fail in jesus name we pray amen